Coronavirus New Zealand, a daily stuff podcast. Welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Wednesday, March the 25th. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. We're journalists with stuff, and this is episode three of Coronavirus NZ. So the idea is that we briefly round up the big news of the day, usually with the New Zealand focus. But as everything seems to be getting faster and faster, we want to slow things down a bit. So each day we zoom in for a closer look at some particular aspect of the COVID-19 crisis. It's Wednesday afternoon. We're just hours away from New Zealand's level four shutdown, lockdown. What are we calling it? Things are about to get even more strange. This is our second day of working together alone. Me at my house, Adam at his. And we're sort of getting into the rhythm of it. We do keep a video chat open all day. So I'm getting used to hearing Adam's dog barking and the kids coming in and asking for this and that. All right, clearly I'm getting used to hearing the Air Force helicopters that keep taking mm-hmm. off and landing at the base near Eugene's home. Um, also, his webcam points up at something of an angle, so I'm able to report that his bedroom ceiling is white, and I'm pretty sure there's a fly sitting on one of the blades of the ceiling oh, fan. Really? Anyway, earlier today we talked to Stuff National Correspondent Carmen Parahi. She's looked at how the pandemic is affecting Māori in particular, and talk to us about why, even before the general lockdown, some Māori communities were setting up roadblocks around their regions. But first, what's happened today? 50 new cases have been identified in the past 24 hours. 47 confirmed, three are defined as probable. That brings the total number of cases to 205. 22 people are defined as recovered. There are two clusters of the virus, with five confirmed cases at Auckland's Marist College, and in an and a number from the recent World Hereford Cattle Conference. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern warned that there could be thousands of cases before the strict measures in place have an impact. A state of emergency has been declared and Parliament is shutting down. That's been in the pipeline for a few days, but now it's official. Sunday Star Times editor and former Stuff political editor Tracy Watkins joins us to make sense of what these measures mean. Tracy, ah. Parliament is in shutdown. You think shut- I've got to make sense of it? <laughs> yeah, well, yes, please. Tracy, Parliament is in shutdown. There's a state of emergency yeah. has been declared constitutionally. Are we in uncharted waters here? Look, I've been trying to figure that out because what I'm not sure about is whether they shut down Parliament during the war. I know they delayed the election. Um, this is during the Second World War. Um, I'm not quite sure to what extent they shut down Parliament. I do know that this is only the second time we've had a, a state of national uh, emergency declared. The first time was, and I think, you know, if you were listening to the Prime Minister's speech at Parliament, she's referred to this, the first time was um, during the Christchurch earthquakes. Um Obviously, this is just such a different scenario. The people in Christchurch would have felt the effects of that um, that state of emergency absolutely acutely. It would have been real to them every single day. For the rest of us, probably not so much in terms of, you know, obviously the, the, the big things in Christchurch were there wasn't the freedom of movement. There were there was an, the army on the streets. Um, the rest of us didn't really see that except through our TV screens. It's quite likely we may, you know, it's possible we may see some of that now. We just don't. No. Mm. What what does a state of of emergency actually mean? What are the what powers does it give the government? Well, it's actually um, huge powers, and I was just going to so so basically they it gives the civil defence, but obviously whole of government really. When you talk about civil defence, it's more than that. Um, the the powers they need to make sure that 
food supply is uh, continues, that fuel and other essential supplies get through. They can regulate over land, water and air traffic. They can close roads in public places. They can evacuate any, any premises they need to. They can requisition, requisition goods. We've heard talk about them requisitioning, say, for instance, face masks. Um, and they can perhaps, you know, exclude people or vehicles from any premises or place, um, they do have arrest powers. So they're very sweeping powers. Um, it's it's quite extraordinary, the situation that we're in. And I th- it is uncharted territory for all of us. It's wartime powers, really. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So even in times of crisis, though, we, we are still a democracy and we need to keep a check yeah. on power. What measures <laughs> yeah. have been put in place oh, no. to do that? <laughs> well, yeah, this is the big concern. Obviously, Parliament isn't sitting for five weeks, so that normal... Scrutiny and those, you know, the annoying questions that you always get from opposition parties at times like this, no matter what the crisis, there's always an opposition party that's going to question. But in a way, that's that's the power of scrutiny. That's the ability to scrutinise, to make sure that the government is doing a good job in a time that is incredibly perilous for all of us. So, But but what they do have is a, uh, a special select committee that has been established. That's going to be chaired by Simon Bridges, which I guess gives that signal that this is seen as an important check uh, and balance. Um, it will have the same powers as the Privileges Committee, which are actually, even though we always laugh about the powerful, the privileges, powerful committee, privileges Committee, which yeah. has become a little bit of a standing joke, these powers are real. They have the power to, to demand uh, people appear before them and um, how to demand documents, etc. So, you know, we just have to have faith in the fact that that committee will be very carefully scrutinising everything. I think what we saw from Simon Bridges in the days before this, where there was quite a sudden a dramatic shift in, in his attitude and, and the opposition, the way they were treating this crisis, I think um, we saw them give their wholehearted support to the government for what it was doing. And actually, people need to see that. They need to know that's happening. They also need to know that our politicians at times like this put everything aside, put politicking aside and act in the best interests of the country. Um, so, yeah, that, that committee is a cross-party select committee, so people from every uh, most of the parties will be on that. It's going to meet remotely. That obviously means that both the public and media could, could watch in theoretically. Thank you for joining us, Tracy. Thank you. Um, hopefully the dog didn't um, make too much noise during that. She's sitting there on the bed snoring. She's never had so many walks as she had in the last two days since I've been stuck at home. So. <laughs> What's your dog's name? <laughs> Murphy. Oh, yeah. Well. So she's loving it. She thinks it's great. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear the one about the dog in the US whose tail was sprained from wagging so much because everyone was home all the time? Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, Tracy. Okay. See you guys. Calling it a state of emergency in New Zealand kind of steps up that feeling that this is for real, that it's kind of intense, that the world isn't quite what it used to be. But honestly, if you want to keep calm today, don't go reading American media, don't go reading the New York Times. The, the tenor of the coverage from America, particularly in the last couple of days, is really intense. There are all sorts of structural things about the US that probably make it hard for them to get a handle on things nationwide. You've got a huge country, you've got a federal system without really strong central control, you've got a deep cultural, a deep culture of individualism and uh, you know distrust of government. It just seems that the US response really is is all over the place. Um, so cases are taking off at a, at a pretty scary rate, huge, huge upsurge in uh, New York, uh, yet President Trump is 
talking about ending the shutdowns by Easter. That's about three weeks away. It's almost as if he's, you know, got tired of this coronavirus thing. But, you know, public health experts in the US are saying really clearly this, that would be a catastrophe. It, sure, it might help in terms of sorting out the, getting the economy rolling again. But in fact, the, the downstream effects of the chaos and death that'll follow if they don't do this, this short-term shutdown of the economy, um, you know, the projections are that it, that's going to be terrible. So it just feels like the US is, is increasingly out of step with the consensus that seems to be everywhere. I guess we'll, we'll find out in the end. You know who was right, but it just seems in some countries that connection between the science of coronavirus and the politics of coronavirus is, you know, is kind of loose. Whole world's in this together, kinda, but it's it's pretty obvious that the paths we're taking through the pandemic aren't all going to be the same. Yeah, because remember in in China they, um, you know, where they where it all began in late December, there was a shutdown and extreme measures were brought in place. Now, there is an end game in sight. The The government there is talking about lifting restrictions soon, even in Hubei province, which was the centre of the outbreak. Of course, we don't enter full lockdown until midnight tonight here in New Zealand. It's all happened in such a rush, but you know that's meant that there's been a bit of confusion about what is essential services and what isn't. Still haven't got to the bottom of tinny houses, whether they're included or not. But well, when when we get organised enough to get a, an email address for this thing, perhaps some um, somebody, somebody can, can let us fill us in. Anyway, but things are becoming a bit clearer about the main things now. Dairies will stay open, although there's there's a one in one out rule. Do you so, do you understand what that means? Because I, I does that mean only one person in the shop at a time? Yeah, yeah. So one person goes in, one person comes out. Right. Mm. Okay. Um. The warehouse, which yesterday was saying that it was going to remain open, is not. But like things like Mitre 10 and Bunnings are going to be able to stay open, but only for trade customers doing uh, emergency work and so on. Food delivery is prohibited except for Meals on Wheels and the delivery of food not pre-cooked. So, you know, those... It's my food bag and so on, isn't it? Yeah, as compared to Uber Eats. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, you know, there there are 15 sectors that are deemed to be essential services. Supermarket workers, pharmacists, teachers, doctors and nurses, ambulance officers, police officers, defence force personnel, journalists, they're all counted as essential workers. There are full lists on that government website you can go and have a look at. But, you know, by... What's that? COVID19.govt.nz. Yeah, yeah. So check, check that out. So the reason pandemics matter, I guess, is because the really horrible bits, people die, it's huge, it's ghastly. But what's amazing, even the the middle of what's currently the epicentre of the whole damn thing in, in Italy, there's, I don't know who's recording these and who's collecting them, but I was just on Twitter last night and came across this person who's been been collecting videos of Italian mayors losing their <laughs> over people breaking quarantine. In a very Italian way. <laughs> so... So this this one here, I will translate as it as it goes because you can't watch the video over the um, the podcast net. Um, but so there's this there's this woman with glasses uh, standing holding up little signs uh, which I can't read because I can't read Italian. But it says Del Cane, so I think there's something involving dogs. And here's what she had to say: Stop using your dogs as an excuse. The dogs are exhausted. Exhausted. Something else that drove me crazy, crazy, is people secretly going to the hairdresser and to the beauty parlor. Great. You will die with your hair combed and all nicely waxed. But you will die. 
There you go. You know, there's a challenge here for you, Phil Goff and Leanne Delziel. You know, the challenge has been laid by the Italian mayors. Hey, just as an aside, the other mayor on that particular video that you were you were playing had a rave about running, which, you know, you and I run as Adam. It was hilarious. The runner, the mayor, sorry, says he's a runner. He knows all the other runners in the village, but suddenly he's getting all these messages from other and others in the village saying they really want to go for a run and can they, you know, asking for his permission. And he says, where are you going to go? Last time you ran with school cross country and now you want to run a marathon. <laughs> anyway, great. so great. anyway, uh, yeah. the lighter side of, of the plague. Um, in our regular famous people in fiction news, Greta Thunberg has it. Well, she's ill and she suspects she caught the virus after a trip to Central Europe. But in Sweden, you can't be tested unless you're in need of emergency medical treatment. So there you go. That's that's good enough to get into famous people in fiction news. Right? Yeah, that's, we've that's got a fine. Oh, look, um, also, um, as, as word of this podcast spreads, uh, we have more listener feedback. Not from my immediate family this time. I will confess it is from a stuff colleague but you know the circles grow it spreads virally anyway so um the, the the feedback was along the lines of love the show and here's my pandemic song list isolation by john lennon never tear us apart by in excess alone by heart gimme shelter by the rolling stones <laughs> this isn't this isn't quite as upbeat as yesterday's. This isn't as upbeat as like yesterday's playlist. Waiting for the end of the world by Elvis Costello, and actually possibly most pertinently, Where Is My Mind by the Pixies. That's all we need to say. Even before the big lockdown was announced on Monday, there was some really interesting news out of the East Cape, north of Gisborne, where local Māori communities were looking at setting up roadblocks. The idea was to stop tourists who might not have been self-isolating properly. Iwi wanted to protect their kaumatua and kuia. That story kind of got overtaken by the general lockdown. But the point here is that Māori communities really do have specific needs, specific vulnerabilities and a desire to act. It's just one example of what's going on within Māoridom. Someone who's really got a handle on this is Stuff National Correspondent Carmen Parahi. So Carmen, you wrote a fascinating piece about the conversation going on about tangi funerals and how they could be handled during a pandemic. What are some of the ideas that are emerging? Oh, kia ora, kōrua, ngā mihi nui ki a koutou katoa. Uh, mai hari mai ki te uh, awesome podcast, can I say? <laughs> you can say um, that. Yes, you can. <laughs> hey, um, yeah, the tangihanga, uh, that was the first concern I had and how we were going to deal with our customary practices uh, tangihanga is where Māori customary practices and how we do things that have been going uh, on for mairano, which is forever, how would we practice this very, very important uh, tangihanga? So in uh, tangihanga, it's about um, dealing with the tapu of our tūpāpaku, which is our deceased and our loved ones. It's a time we all come together to celebrate, to mourn, to uh, really cry and get rid of our hupe, which is our snot. And we do this really well, I feel. And uh, if you haven't been to a tangihanga before, it's very expressive. We laugh a lot. We sit and uh, sit next to our uh, tupapaku. We um, 
hungi, touch, kiss, and love them and talk about them as if they were still there. And it's really important that we practice our karanga, our pōwhiri, uh, our uh, komatua, get up on the pai pai and welcome in our guests. And it's really a time of acknowledging our important practices. So there's lots about that that in a pandemic situation doesn't sound ideal. All these things are all really important. Mm. So not being able to practice those things during uh, this pandemic is a real struggle for Māori. And already we've seen Fano have lost family members uh, during this time. So we haven't even gone into lockdown and people are already having to cut short um, our customary practices. But they are developing new tikanga mm-hmm. and new ways of dealing with this. So these may be shorter tangi, but they're still using um, karakia and uh, ways of blessing each other and dealing with the um, tupapaku and uh, taking them through the whole process into burial. Mm-hmm. You write about e-tangi, about online tangi. Yeah, it's a um, – not everyone agrees with e-tangi anyway, <laughs> um, but e-tangi have been around for quite a long time. So Ngāti Poro were the first iwi to start that, and that was years ago. Uh, and they started to um, uh, put tangihanga online for those around the world, especially in Australia, because we've got a huge Māori population in Australia, so that they can be a part of and witness the process as well. So it is, it's contentious. There are those that like it. The Māori Council came out last week and said that they uh, disagree with itangi. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yet you had Māori health professionals who said it's time to stop this. Why are Māori particularly vulnerable during this pandemic? And, and what are the specific needs of Māori? The issue really is poverty. Um, and we know that when people are poor, they uh, lack uh, the money to be able to get the resources they need. So uh, because Māori, have, through colonisation, have been disenfranchised from their land and taken away from their economic base over the uh, two centuries, what it means is um, Māori are more likely to be poor. Um, that then leads to health conditions because they're not looking after themselves properly. They're living in homes that are colder, damper, and bad for their health. They also just might not have jobs. So um, there are more Māori across all the negative statistics you can think of, we're in there. And our rates are not very good for us. And so that puts us at risk. But it puts us at risk the same as specific uh, people as well as people who are in poverty. And we know that Māori are more likely to have diabetes, uh, heart conditions, lung conditions, and these are the people that are more vulnerable during a pandemic. That played out in 1918 too, didn't it? Yeah, the pandemic oh, was terrible. The inf- influenza pandemic of 1918. So uh, it, it hit New Zealand really badly, but it really hit Māori badly. So um, in total, it killed 9,000 people, but the Māori rates of death were amongst the highest in the world. And so the New Zealand European rates were 5.6 per 1,000, but for Māori, it was 45 per 1,000. So around 5% of the Māori population was killed off by the um, influenza pandemic. Wow. So it was a seven times the rate of New Zealand Europeans. Um, and it was the, one of the highest rates for an ethnic group um, in the world. 
what, if anything, should happen this time around? What do we need to do differently to make sure that Māori don't come out on the wrong side of those stats again? One of the issues that was raised last week was the fact that the government was still uh, not addressing Māori in um, their uh, declarations. And so it was a general declaration for everybody, for all New Zealanders. But what we do know is that you can't have uh, generalised solutions for Māori. You have to have Māori-specific solutions to deal with this issue. And so Māori, Māori said, we're not waiting around for the government. They're too slow to act to realise that actually Māori need different solutions. So uh, people around the country started to uh, take matters into their own hands, te whanua apanui decided over on the East Cape to uh, set up roadblocks and mm. stop tourists and uh, visitors coming through that area. And that, that included Māori as well. So Māori who didn't live in that area were told they can't keep coming in and out of that area either to visit their loved ones. Right. So there was so there were some hard issues there. It wasn't just focused on just tourists. And uh, then we had uh, Kaitaia with Hone Harwera deciding that they would uh, close it down up north as well. So they're working with um, uh, Dr. Lance O'Sullivan and the police to uh, help manage that area. Um, Wally Homaha, who is um, number two police officer in the country, uh, Deputy Commissioner Māori, I should say, uh, he uh, is keeping across that and working with uh, different iwi across the country to deal with the roadblocks because... There is uh, issues of legality around that. Of course, but but it's mm. but it shows communities not just wanting to sit back. They actually just want to get on and do something and 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 make sure that as much is done for Māori yes. by Māori. For Māori by Eugene, that's excellent. For Māori by Māori, that is it. And so uh, you also have Māori health clinics that were not waiting around for the government, the Ministry of Health, to say, hey, here's some here's some extra funding or you can um, uh, move your funding over to resource Māori. They did it themselves. And so they started dealing, um, making care packages, um, getting uh, knowing who where, who and where their komatua and kuia were, uh, the kroa and kuia, I should say. One thing Māori are really good at is history. So we always, always learn from what has happened from the past. And we'll go back hundreds of years. So knowing what what happened in the 1918 pandemic and how hard it was for our families uh, back then, that's what's on everybody's mind. What was also left out in the 1918 pandemic was the government not talking to Māori to find those solutions for Māori. So Māori tangihanga was banned, but European New Zealander funerals were not banned. Really? Māori, if they were seen around the place, were thought of as having um, the disease, so were automatically shut out of shops and restaurants and stuff like that. So there were issues of racism that was going on back then, and that's also on the mind Mm. of people now, of Māori leaders, Māori health authorities, who really want to deal with it now and not have to... um, you know, bang the racism drum and just get on and deal with it themselves. Mm. That's brilliant, Carmen. Thank you very much for, you know, explaining the rationale behind it because I think it's important for us to understand, hey, where, where are you now? And I know one thing about you is you love watching sports. So how are you coping? I am not coping, actually, Eugene. <laughs> Thank you for asking. So it's oh, sorry got for that, bringing it up. It's got that bad that I'm now watching marble racing. <laughs> 
it's a thing. It's a thing. Where? Marble, is this, marble is, racing is a is thing. Is this on it's, Sky? I don't. I don't have Sky. It's on. It's on YouTube. YouTube. Okay. Yeah. Is the, is the, is the TAB onto on, this? Oh, they should be. I think they will be. And can I say, you can waste five minutes of watching these marbles racing on these homemade tracks, and you're thinking, "Come on, little blue guy! Come on, little blue guy! You've got oh, why did you go that way? This is where we're at." That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Wednesday, 25th of March. I'm Adam Dudding. He's Eugene Bingham. And thank you to Carmen Prahi and Tracy Watkins, to Alex Liu, Catherine George, Patrick Crudson, and Carol Hirschfeld. You can find us on Apple Podcasts now. Yay. Spotify, Stitcher, Google, some other podcast apps we've never even heard of. Heck, you can even listen directly on the Stuff website. Enora. Enora.